The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. I'm delighted we've Emma Donoghue with us because she, of course, is the writer of the new movie The Wonder, which is coming to Netflix in early November, starring Florence Pugh in a role, I think, quite unlike anything we've seen her in previously. Emma, of course, who wrote the novel The Room, Room, which also became such a successful movie, and was the writer of the original novel The Wonder. Emma, thank you very much for joining us. Although I believe visually it's going to look a little bit different to what you wrote in the book because although it's the Midlands, I believe in the cinema version we're going to see the fine uh, mountains and hills of Wicklow. Yeah, no insult to the Midlands, I'm afraid. But we were making this film under COVID conditions and um, it was... We, we felt that Wicklow was near to Dublin, so it would be a bit easier logistically. And, you know, we did have those hills, which you don't get in the Midlands. So we, we tried to have the best of both worlds by finding bogland, but also hills. And, you know, there are shots in it that look like some extraordinary Western. You see Tom Burke riding in on a horse over a tiny little path above the uh, on the feather beds in, in Wicklow. And it's just unnervingly beautiful. Tell us a little bit about the story for those who aren't familiar with the novel which you published in 2016. Sure. The Wonder is a a fictional story, but it owes a lot to real cases of what were called fasting girls. So a girl or a young woman who would be um, who would sort of hit the headlines from the 16th century right through to the 20th for being apparently able to live without food. So in this fictional case, um, an an English nurse, very sensible and well-trained by Florence Nightingale, uh, that's um, Lib, played by Florence Pugh, is sent to Ireland for two weeks to literally watch, to supervise and surveil an 11-year-old to see if she's eating. And um, it's a sort of story of culture clash, I suppose. And oddly enough, you know, it, it, it seems more relevant than ever now than when I wrote the novel in 2016, because in COVID, we've had so many medical-related clashes between people who believe totally different things about viruses or vaccines so the notion of this this nurse in this village you know feeling that she's entered a mad world where everybody believes things that she doesn't and nobody will listen to her and you know people believe that this child might be living off magnetism or smell so it's a it's a it's a sort of tense gothic thriller drama of culture clash i would say so was she supposed to observe to see whether she was secretly eating would that have been the idea Indeed. So, of course, that makes her really more like a prison guard than like an actual nurse. And I've written about nurses a few times now because I find it a fascinating profession. It's so important, clearly. And again, during COVID, we've all felt more grateful than ever to frontline health workers. But, of course, nurses until until the 20th century have been so underpaid and not taken seriously enough because it was just seen as what women naturally do anyway. So it makes it a very feminist story, really, because you've got Florence Pugh playing this highly skilled and qualified nurse and all the men of the village are just refusing to take her seriously and they keep telling her, we don't want your opinion. You know, your only job is to watch this girl. Tell me, this fasting girl phenomenon, was it commonplace? It wasn't common, no. You get these cases sprinkled maybe 20 or 30 years, but what's weird is that they keep recurring. So, you know, in the 20th century, you would say, okay, this is clearly a form of anorexia if somebody's trying to live without food. But in the in this 17th century or the 19th century, it would take on a different form in that they wouldn't be claiming to be, you know, thin or glamorous. It wasn't about how they looked, but it was something similar. It was this idea that a girl could be so pure, so spiritual and etherealized and, and not prone to the 
physical needs of the body and not prone to, you know, lust and hunger and periods and childbirth and all that. So this idea of, of, of a girl as an angel, really, it's, it's just a weird cultural fantasy that comes up over and over again. And I think it points to something very messed up in how we see girlhood, you know. Um, and of course, for this film, we had to find it out. Mm-hmm. Sorry, how did you become aware of this phenomenon? I read very widely in history and I'm always looking for peculiar cases. <laughs> I've written a lot of, you know, short stories and novels and based on weird one-offs. And often I think something can be illustrated about a broader society by finding a really odd case rather than a statistically commonplace one. So you might say, okay, it's, it's extraordinary and very odd for a girl to claim to live without food. But actually as a way of talking about post-famine Ireland and how that whole society was eaten up with guilt about, you know, did we bring in the famine on ourselves for our sins? And how can we, should we focus on the next life and sacrifice and improving and strengthening our souls rather than on feeding our bodies. Um, you know, it, it, it's a way of, of, of asking so many of those big questions about life in Ireland after the famine. Um, so so I, I like these peculiar stories. You know, the same with Room. It was a very weird, one-off, rare kind of situation, but it said a lot about everyday parenting. There's also what's described to me as a key plot point in The Wonder, and I hope we're not giving anything away with this, but I'm absolutely fascinated by the idea of the O'Donnell family portrait hanging on the wall and that apparently during that period of history, photographs would be taken, family portraits, in which one of the people would be dead. (laughs) It's not that they deliberately, you know, got a dead body to put in the picture. It's more that having your photo taken was a big deal, you know, an investment. You would pay the man to come with his van and spend maybe a day taking a picture. And so people often just didn't get around to making that investment until they wanted to capture somebody's loveliness and dearness to them um, at the point where that somebody had died. So, yes, quite often you'd, you'd send for the photographer and you'd prop your son up and make him look as lively as possible and you'd all sit around him and then afterwards you would, you'd have somebody paint on the eyes to make it seem like the eyes were open. So posthumous Victorian photography, really common. You even get these weird Victorian ones where it's a baby propped up and then the mother is holding that baby upright but the mother is hidden by a sheet. So, um, yes, it's an extraordinary form of photography. That is and, one of the um, weirdest things I've ever heard of, Emma. I, I had know, no idea that. No. So, yes, um, Anne O'Donnell's dead brother is a huge presence in the film. And I think, you know, I never wanted to talk about the famine um, head on, like the, all the huge, big, devastating facts and figures, but to evoke him through, you know, to evoke the famine through one missing missing sibling and um, uh, to show a little graveyard, which was clearly sort of thrown up very quickly when so many people died, to show people kind of watching each other as they eat, um, to, to show how fraught the whole question of food was and the pride that the poor had. Of all the research I did on the famine, um, one particular little anecdote made it into the script um, as part of the journalist's background, um, that certain families used to seal themselves up, you know, when they when they felt they were getting sick and starving to death during the famine, they would shut the door and lock the door so that they wouldn't be seen to starve and fall down dead in the street. So the idea of that kind of appalling pride and dignity and withdrawing from the world, you know, the way elephants go off to die alone, um, I found, you know, that that's so moving. So that, that made it straight into the script. When it came to the script, you co-wrote the script, adapting it from your own novel, 
with the director, who's an Oscar-winning director, Sebastian Lilo. What is that like, and Alice Birch as well, to actually work with other people on your already formed work to turn it into something that's the same but also a little bit different? Oh, entirely different. I mean, a film is just a different thing. Even if you um, are, are aiming to have the same kind of effect on the audience, you have to use totally different techniques to get there. We've all seen very literal adaptations that just fall flat because it doesn't work. So you need different techniques to, to conjure up those same emotions. Um, and I would say that a, a screenwriting task is, is always a collaboration, even if you're the only name on the screen at that point, because... Um, a director always shapes the script. So in this case, it was just just a bit more explicit than that, um, in that Sebastian and Alice and I were, were each contributing layers to the writing of it. And I think we all brought very different strengths. Um, Sebastian felt, you know, English wasn't his native language, so he really liked having two of us who were native Irish. Um, uh, Alice has very strong background in theatre as well as in film and TV, and she'd written specifically for Florence Pugh before in the film Lady Macbeth. And Irish audiences, I think, love her work in particular on Normal People, which was a huge hit for Element. Um, and then um, Sebastian has, you know, written his films of his before too. So we were bringing a great variety of strengths to it, I think. And um, and of course, you're also there. There, there are things that contribute to the final film that are really could be considered a form of writing, but they're not called that. For instance, editing. Every film is really written again in the editing process where whole scenes and sequences fall away. For instance, I got to be an extra in one long scene with Kieran Hines. It was thrilling to me as an experience, but that didn't even make it into the first cut of the film because in the logic of editing, when you're going for kind of an overall flow, anything that is not strictly necessary to the storytelling at that point, you just carve it away. It doesn't matter how much it cost or how long it took. Um, so, so yes. Yeah, could so you, many could you not have insisted, from... Emma, as the writer of this, that your scene had to remain in it? That it was essential you know, and core to the movie. As a writer, I felt that my performance as an extra was not at all core to the film. No, I wanted what was best for the overall film, and cutting my scene was best. So I just harvested some of the raw footage for our end of year family video. <laughs> so you see me in many petticoats and a very unbecoming bonnet. <laughs> Just to finish, how important is it to the success of a movie like The Wonder that no matter how good the script or the director, that you actually have somebody like a superstar like Florence Pugh there to make people aware of it? It's hugely important. It's, it's a bit like, um, you know, the cover of a book um, because nobody will pick up the book unless it looks appealing to them. And the, the face and the name of Florence Pugh, first of all, it's a badge of quality because she doesn't do rubbish. You know, she hasn't done all those silly rom-coms that so many other beautiful blondes in their mid-twenties have. She just doesn't. Uh, she, she manages to give kind of gravitas and solidity and depth um, even to something relatively crowd-pleasing like fighting with my family or, say, um, in, in Little Women, she makes the character of Amy Marsh, you know, the fluffy bimbo one. She makes her a woman of such strength. So, um, yeah, in this case, Florence Pugh, she's not just a badge of quality, but she has such a vast fan following as well. And so many young women in particular follow her on Instagram. So on our set, for instance, we had, um, you know, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds lining up all day for a glimpse of her. So I think if a lot of people go see this beautiful film, as they should, it, it will be mostly to do with the pew factor and bless her for it. Emma Donoghue, it's been great having you with us again here on The Last Word of Today FM. The movie is called The Wonder. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.